Welcome to the Perfectly Preserved Podcast. I'm your host, Jenny Gomes. And I'm Anna Cash. Here, we come together to bring you a podcast all about preserving food safely, easily, and dare I say perfectly at home. We are master food preservers, moms, wives, and we love talking about canning. We've decided the world needs a podcast that shares up-to-date, modern, safe information about canning, dehydrating, freezing, freeze-drying, and more. We answer listener questions, teach beginner and intermediate techniques, and share our very best tips for preserving successfully. We'll show you how to find trusted recipes, sources, and more so you never have to second-guess your preserving practices again. Ready to can like a master preserver? Let's get into today's episode. Welcome back to the Perfectly Preserved Podcast. I'm Anna here with my co-host, Jenny, and we are excited about this episode. Today, we are going to be talking about the benefits of bone broth and how to preserve bone broth for your pantry shelf. So Jenny, let's get started. I'm excited. Okay. I feel like our listeners are going to love this. So Bone broth is so wildly popular. I feel like I almost don't even need to explain what it is, but I I will. So the method that we're going to explain includes roasting bones with vegetables, creating a broth by boiling for a long time, straining, and then preserving this low acid recipe safely in a pressure canner. So that's, that's what this episode will explain in detail. But before you get started, you might wonder, like, why in the world would I would I do this? Um, <laughs> and my husband certainly asked this, like, why are you taking up so much of the kitchen counter space with this project? And I'm not here to make any health claims, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what may come from drinking bone broth is the fact that bone broth is really nutritious. It has lots of vitamins and nutrients and it really depends on the source and type of animal bones you use, but it really gives a pretty powerful dose of nutrients in one flavorful broth. It may protect your joints. So by roasting and boiling bones, you access that collagen. And you'll see if you do this a couple times, really good bone broth ends up being very gelatinous and kind of weird when it's cold but that tells you it is really full of collagen. Bone broth may aid in digestion. There's some research that links it to improved digestion for people. There's some links to improved sleep. It's a rich source of protein that some people feel like it makes them feel fuller after eating. And some sources say that it may help you fight inflammation. So I think the thing that I feel really comfortable stating as a fact is that it's delicious and it is the most valuable pantry stable. I, I've said that about one other thing and that's tomato sauce or tomatoes canned, but bone broth is such a versatile and valuable thing to preserve for your shelf because cooking anything in it is so much more delicious. It's better than any store-bought broth you're going to get and it gives you the power to choose, like to to find your local farmer or use bones that you harvest yourself. So you know, this came from this animal on this farm or this ranch, you get to know your source, and it can be a really full circle type of a process. So the first step, there's some people choose to blanch their bones, which means to boil for 10 minutes. And I've never done this. Anna, have you ever blanched your bones before you did this? 
Uh, no, I've never done that. So I, I mean, I've read recipes that ask you to blanch, but I have not. So I can't speak to doing that. But I don't think it would be a terrible mistake. But some people think it helps remove impurities that may be present. Some of the best bones that you can look for, like if you're going to the store and or speaking to a farmer or rancher or your butcher, knuckles, joints, feet. Sorry to weird you out, but chicken feet have tons of gelatin and they're really cheap. (laughs) Marrow bones, sometimes they're advertised as marrow bones. And then bones that have like meaty parts, like the tail, like an ox tail or a, a beef tail, the shank or even short ribs. So the bones can be meaty. They don't have to be meaty, but they can be. And you can use, I have only done beef chicken and venison and out of those three the venison was so good i just felt like the flavor there was so clean delicious like just so good so so good and i know that's not as easy to source for people but if you come from a home that has bones (laughs) uh buck bones or venison bones I thought they were awesome. In my area in the fall, usually when hunters are like, you know, taking care of their meat, I have friends that I can reach out to and be like, hey, do you have any bones left? I want to make some bone broth. They're more than happy, you know, like. Oh, totally. They've got an excess of meat usually. Oh, totally. And the bones from one buck would keep you busy. That'd be in many batches. That'd be, that'd be that's a lot of bones to roast. So like. Absolutely. I would not be afraid to ask or reach out to someone that you even halfway know (laughs) because those were really, really, I thought, very delicious. So the first step is assembling all the vegetables and your bones into a big roasting pan. Anna, what vegetables should our listeners choose? Well, for me, I like using root vegetables and alliums. For me, I love onions, carrots, celery, like the boring mirepoix, but it's just like so good. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes I'll throw garlic in and roast it with it as well, like a whole head of garlic. You kind of cut the top off and just set it on your pan. Your house will smell amazing. And you can like kind of squeeze that garlic, that roasted garlic into your pot as well. But yeah, I love adding just all kinds of aromatics. So you can't really go wrong with like big hunks of onion, big chunks of celery, garlic, any and all of the herbs that you think are delicious, you can just kind of go crazy. And you can also use bits and bobs. So if you're a person who saves your bits and bobs, your, you know, tops of celery, etc., that all you can also use like stuff that you wouldn't necessarily put in a salad, right? So it can, it can be a little tired. And then you pop it in an oven that a 450 or 425 and How long do you roast for, Anna? I usually roast for about 40 minutes. That's what I was going to say. I usually know it's done when the smell is like that beautiful, like roasted smell, but it's about 45 minutes. What about you? So I usually do like 30 and then turn some of the bones so they get even color on all sides. And then, you know, you're only roasting for like 15 or 20 minutes after that. So about 45 But see, this depends. This is like kind of a loose recipe, guys, because we don't know exactly how many bones you're going to source and how big they are and just kind of be open to this being like a a flexible thing you're going to have to roll with. But roasting gives them more flavor. And I, I mean, I wouldn't say that you have to roast them, but I certainly would. I would roast all of it. 
The next step is to put all the roasted bones back into the stock pot and bring to a boil. So Anna, tell us about this process. Okay, so after you've roasted, you're going to put all of those ingredients that you just roasted into a stock pot. I like to cover it maybe even by like three inches of water, four inches of water. And that's when I add my aromatics. Like I really love using thyme. I love, you know, salt and pepper. I love sage sometimes, sometimes a bay leaf. Like I just like a lot of flavor. And then you turn it on like a medium, medium low and just let it simmer for three to four hours. For me, I was telling Jenny before we started this episode, one of the things that I actually found really great is to use my instant pot and I just pressure cook it for 45 minutes. And I found that the flavor is super comparable to boiling it on your stovetop for four hours. And I was like, yeah, this is way better. There's so many useful ways to use the Instant Pot in canning and preserving. I, as soon as I get my kitchen addition, and I have a kitchen that's bigger than a Kleenex box, I'm going to get an Instant Pot because that tip right there saves so much time and the results are very, very similar. Do you have to do two batches in the Instant Pot because it's you? the volume of bones is too much or do you just always just roast a smaller amount? Or maybe they all fit? No, I think I think you're right. I think I did have to do two different batches, but still with the time savings, it's really worth it to me. Totally. And plus I'm not adding like a ton of steam to my kitchen. Like it doesn't heat up the kitchen. I don't know. You do you, you know, if you love to have that simmering on your stovetop for three to four hours, that's also lovely and pleasant to have that smell going throughout your house as well. Totally. But I just found last year that roasting and then using the pressure cooker was like a revelation. Oh yeah, I'm I'm sure. One way I did it, and you have to, you know, gauge the safety of this for your own home, but I left my stock pot on low, low, low overnight. And again, you have to determine if that is safe in your house on your stove, you know. And like my husband checked it when he went to bed at 11 and I was up really early. So I felt really good about it. And with the lid on, I didn't lose, you know, a ton to steam. But that was like just outstanding flavor. Outstanding. Super good. Yeah, that's great. So then once you've boiled, then the next step is to strain all the roasted and boiled veggies and bones using a strainer. Probably a metal mesh strainer would be good because you're going to have some fairly big bits and bobs. What do you do with your spent or strained out veggies and bones, Anna? It depends. Like if they're pretty big chunks, sometimes I will take them and throw them in a soup or something. When we had chickens, it was nice. I would just throw that outside and they would pick the bones and the marrow clean if there was anything left in there. What do you do with it? Do you give it to your chickens? I The root vegetables, there was like enough of the carrot left that I fed that to the chickens. And then like the greenery was like almost a boil to an oblivion. Like there's not any like leaf, no, there's no leafy greens left. But yeah, the onions and the carrots, I think- <laughs> <laughs> you kind of just have to decide on the fly like what you're going to do with it. But it's very flavorful stuff. It's just really soft. So then we strain. And then an important step is cooling the bone broth. And why is it important to cool it, Anna? 
So when you're pressure canning, one of the things that's important, and this goes for like meat, it goes for broth, uh, you'll want to make sure that that fat is scooped off of the top so that there's not a lot of fat when you go to pressure can. A lot of that fat during the processing time can climb up the side and go up underneath your lid and it will compromise your seal possibly. So it's a good idea to get try and get rid of as much of that fat as possible out of your bone broth. That doesn't mean that you have to get rid of it, right? Like it's still really good and healthful and delicious. So, you know, you can use it in other recipes. Totally. So when you cool it, it'll take a little bit for it to get good and cold in the refrigerator, but the fat will be like a white, it's it's almost like ice. Like it's a layer on the top and it's cold and white and you could pick it up in very large chunks, if not like a perfect circle off the top of your of your stock pot. And then I save mine in a in a glass container or whatever. And then I I roasted yellow potatoes, chopped yellow potatoes in it in the oven, and that was delish. Very good. I was sorry that I didn't have more of it. Ooh, that sounds amazing. It was a good way to use fat for sure. And then now we're ready to start the pressure canning process. And I can remind our listeners that we have an episode all about pressure canning, and you should definitely take a listen to that. But the basic idea is a pressure canner is a different device or contraption that has a locking lid and either a dial or a gauge on top to tell you when the pressure inside is at an appropriate level so that the inside temperature inside your jars gets over 240 degrees. And that's really important because that allows you to preserve low acid recipes like plain vegetables and low acid things like meat, meat broth, and so on to preserve them safely. You want to have their inside temperature, the internal temperature inside the food get over 240 degrees. And we do that with a pressure canner. So to prepare, and totally, you would do this over two or three days. I should have probably started out by saying this. You're not going to do this in one afternoon. You would prepare your veggies and your bones and get a tray like organized and maybe roast it one day. And then you could boil it another and then pressure can on the third day. You, I mean, you could spread this out over several days. Is that how you usually do it, Anna? Or are you a marathon? -er? (laughs) It depends on the day. And it honestly depends on the season. But I like to do bone broth in the winter when I don't have as much going on canning wise. But yeah, it, it seems like it takes at least two days, even if I roast and then I do uh, the pressure cooker or boiling uh, the bone broth. You know, I just like put it in the fridge overnight, yeah. then scoop the fat, then do it the next day. But I think what's really fun is that, well, fun, fun to me, I guess, is that the <laughs> processing time is pretty fast. <laughs> yeah. For bone broth, a pint, you only process it for 20 minutes and quarts are 25 minutes. So it's fairly fast. That's a very short processing time in a pressure canner. And that's in part because it's a liquid, right? There's no chunks in it. And let's say that we have our cold stock pot. We're going to turn that on so it's, it gets up to temperature. You have hot jars and on a they're on a towel-covered countertop. And you're ready to ladle your hot broth into your hot jars. And you apply a new canning lid if you're using regular classic ball-style jars. And you put them into your pressure canner. At the base of your pressure canner, there's probably two to three quarts of water. It depends on the model and make of your pressure canner, how much water you put in the bottom. Anna and I can't tell you that. 
Once your pressure canner is filled, as full as you're going to fill it with the jars of broth, then you'll lock the lid in place following your manufacturer's directions and you will exhaust it, which means you turn it to like medium high. And once steam starts escaping through the vent on the top, then you'll have 10 minutes. You'll start the time for 10 minutes and exhaust it for 10 minutes. And then you'll put the weighted gauge back in place and bring your pressure canner up to pressure. And now a quick word about our courses. Want to learn more about canning? Check out our video courses. Anna's beginner and advanced canning courses are available at smarthomecanning.com. And Jenny teaches a variety of courses, including the super fast steam canning course at startcanning.com. Use code POD25 to get 25% off those courses today. That's code POD25 to get 25% off today. Anna, tell us the pressure for elevation for this recipe. Yeah. So when you're doing pressure canning, instead of adding minutes like you do in water bath canning, you actually add pounds pressure. So for zero to 2000 feet, and this is in a dial gauge pressure canner, Mm -hmm. uh, you're going to do 11 pounds pressure for 2001 to Mm -hmm. 4000 feet in elevation. It'll be 12 pounds 4,001 to 6,000 feet is 13 pounds pressure. That's what I use. 6,001 to 8,000 feet in in elevation, you're going to do 14 pounds pressure. If you are using a weighted gauge pressure canner, anything over 1,000 feet will be 15 pounds. Anything under 1,000 feet in elevation will be 10 pounds. So it's a little bit easy if you're doing a weighted gauge pressure canner. I have an All-American and it has a dial, but it also has a weighted gauge. And I know that I'm always going to be at 15 pounds pressure because I'm over a thousand feet in elevation. So hopefully that's helpful for our listeners to know. Oh, I think it's very helpful, I would think. And again, uh, you process for 20 minutes for pint jars and 25 minutes for quartz. Yeah. And you can find this information just right on the the website National Center for Home Food Preservation under meat stock mm. or broth. So all of all of the information that we're giving you is coming right from there. So if you have questions, reference that. Sure. And we'll include the specifics in our show notes as well. Yeah. Jenny and I were just talking before this episode. We were like, hey, did you drink bone broth growing up? And I was <laughs> like, no. And she was like, I didn't either. I think it's very much like, I don't know, the 80s was a kind of a wild time. It was like <laughs> everybody was trying to cut corners with nutrition and, yeah. and like eat fat-free, uh, sodium-free, sugar-free. It was just like a chemical crap storm. But Oh, my goodness. Bone broth is like a really traditional old method, you know? Yeah. Oh, it totally is. Yeah. I mean, if <laughs> you just look back, like thinking about young people and how they're exposed to like, all this healthy food. And we just had like such like margarine. Everybody, everyone was eating margarine. Everybody. Nobody knew any, it just was not nobody, but just the general, the general public was not consuming bone broth in America in the (laughs) eighties. So no, I never consumed bone broth as a kid. We like my grandma would make soups with bones in them. And like, I felt like we were eating pretty healthfully given the era 
and actually a lot of animal products given the era. But no, I this bone broth thing is is new in in it's a new old thing. <laughs> it's made popular now. Right, right. I I think like a lot of things, it's super trendy, but it's also really traditional. So, you know, if there's any naysayers like, oh, this is just a flash in the pan. It's it's not like every traditional peoples had some type of bone broth Mm -hmm. or uh, soup that they would make out of bones. Right. So again, the claim that we stand behind and we know is inarguable is that it's delicious and it's very flavorful and it'll make whatever you cook in it or with it a lot more flavorful. So definitely give this recipe a try. Let us know if you love it. And please send any questions you might have to perfectlypreservedpodcast at gmail.com. But thanks again for an amazing episode. That's our show. We don't want you to miss an episode, so please be sure to subscribe. If you found this episode helpful and informative, please give our show a rating and review. It only takes a few seconds and it really helps our show grow. Follow us on social media at Smart Home Canning and at The Domestic Wildflower. Email your preserving questions to perfectlypreservedpodcast at gmail.com and we will do our best to answer your questions on the show. Thanks so much for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode released every week.